So I just want to look. At, I want you to look around. Look at the brave people that are that are around you. Uh, quite. To be quite honest with you, I didn't know what to expect today, and that's why we're going to talk about expectations. An expectation is a strong belief that something's going to happen. We all have expectations, don't we? We all have expectations. And we have strong beliefs, we have strong ideas, and some of those expectations are clearly defined. I mean, we know exactly what we expect to happen, and we have clear, distinct ideas and understanding about what those expectations are going to be, and we expect those things to happen. And some of those expectations that we have are not as clearly defined, and the reason why they're not as clearly defined is because we, we have a tendency to get in a routine, and in that routine, we have routine expectations. I mean, when you got out of bed this morning, you expected to do what? To put your feet on the floor. You expected to drink coffee unless you're Mark Mattingly and you drink tea. Some people expected the weather to be so bad that they were not going to come to church this morning. They anticipated it being that bad, but it really wasn't that bad, was it? And some of us expected to be here no matter what the weather was going to be. And that's part of the reason why we never canceled church. And I'm sorry that some of you saw on Kate News last night, somebody, a few people saw that we canceled services. Well, that was another Emmanuel church, and they said Emmanuel Baptist in Wichita. I think we should have a name that, that, that no one in Wichita has and never make that problem again. What name do you suggest we have? I'm sorry, never, let's don't do that today. But we all have expectations. We all have expectations in regard to the people in our lives. We have expectations about what our spouses are going are to do and not do. We have expectations of how we're going to relate to them. And, and we have expectations about family members. We have expectations about what Christmas is going to be like. And more than likely, those expectations for most of us will not be completely fulfilled, will they? We're used to being let down because our expectations sometimes are so high in people that people being human always let us down and they never quite fulfill our expectations. But also we have expectations in regard to our relationship with God, don't we? We expect God to be a certain God. We expect God to do certain things, and we expect God to do certain things in our lives. And we have clearly defined expectations about what we think and how we think God is going to act in our lives. And we put those expectations on God. And the reality is that most of those expectations that we have in God and we place on God are not God's expectations for us, and they don't line up with his plan and his purpose for our lives. Consequently, many people are disappointed because God did not live up to their expectations. They somehow define these expectations that they placed on God outside of his word and outside of his will. And as a result of that, they were let down and they were disappointed. They were disillusioned because they had this expectation that God was going to do this or God was going to prevent that or God was going to rescue me from this. And God never fulfilled those expectations. And as a result, many either lose faith or they stop expecting anything from God altogether. Joseph is one of those men who I believe had expectations in the Christmas story. And God is going to take his expectations and he's going to shatter them. 
He had expectations about Mary and about who she was going to be and who she would be when they walked down the, 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 the aisle at the marriage ceremony. He had expectations about what his family would be composed of, and he had expectations about who and, and what kind of children they would have. He had all these expectations, and God shatters those expectations. And in his disillusionment, he almost misses this incredible opportunity to turn those unwanted difficulties into unexpected blessings because you see what happens to Joseph is in fact the will of God for him and God changes his expectations and actually blesses him in that change in a much richer way than he could have possibly ever imagined so what unexpected blessing has God placed upon you today it's unexpected maybe like Joseph it's unwanted undesired you would like release and relief from it but if you evaluate it from God's perspective you understand that this you will come to understand that this unexpected blessing is in fact a blessing from God and it will literally bless the socks off of your life if you'll embrace embrace it and go with God Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. I want to look at some characteristics about how to turn unbearable burdens into unexpected blessings. How to turn unbearable burdens into unexpected blessings. Number one, we need to prepare for the unexpected. I mean, the reality is that's a given, isn't it? To prepare for the unexpected. And often we do not prepare for what is unexpected because we expect certain things. And when God invades that which we expect and changes what we expect, we are often caught off guard because we do not expect God to change our expectations. But the reality is, God often changes our expectations because too often we think less than how God thinks. We, we don't see ourselves with the potential that God sees. We don't see the, the future the way God sees it. God sees the past, the present, and the future all at the same time, and our perspective is limited. And so because of that, we often sort of plan our work and work our plan, expecting that to be the reality. But God often invades that reality and changes that which we expected into that which is unexpected. But if we prepare for the unexpected, I think we'll be less surprised. Isn't that why sometimes they're unexpected blessings? Because they catch us by surprise. We never imagined that God would work this way, and yet He did. And He often does. And so we then learn that that unbearable burden becomes an unexpected blessing. We didn't see coming, but it came, and it actually became a blessing instead of a burden. Look at the text, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Mark has defined and described already this incredible, beautiful lineage of, of Jesus charted through the lineage of, of King David, and he's about now to describe the birth of Christ. And he's saying, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. He is helping us understand that God is actively working now to bring about the fulfillment, the reality of the promised Messiah. Now is the time that the birth of Messiah, Jesus Christ, will take place in this way. And then he simply says, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Interesting, he talks about his mother, but doesn't talk about his father. It's a given to those to whom he's writing to. He understands what they understand. They know that while Mary is the mother, God, through the Holy Spirit now, is the one who has caused her to become pregnant and to be with child. 
And so he simply describes the mother who is Mary with an understanding that those who are reading clearly understand that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is the one who has caused this pregnancy. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, he's clearly showing by this that there has already been a legal contract that has been signed. There has been a public display of of intent toward both families coming together in the community to determine and dictate that in the future, more than likely, in about a year's time, they are going to consummate the relationship and they will walk down an aisle and they will publicly become married and then finalize that contractual agreement. uh, this was a contractual agreement back in the, Old Test- in the New Testament times and the Old Testament times. It was a contractual agreement. When pe- two people became engaged, there was a contract, and they were considered legally married. And so through that year of, of being legally married but not officially married, there were certain expectations as to how each one would conduct themselves. There would be no dating someone else during that period of time. They were betrothed to each other. It was a a public and a private commitment that the two people would consecrate themselves not only unto the Lord but unto each other. And so they are betrothed to one another. Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And so then we are caught off guard then, as Matthew describes, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I mean, it would be unexpected for Joseph then who is betrothed to Mary for her to become pregnant while they're engaged considered officially legally married but yet not yet consummated the relationship it would be unexpected for him to learn that Mary now has become a child it's not expected it's unexpected and rightly so For Joseph to expect Mary because he knows that he is not the father of the child. So therefore, someone else then now is responsible for his fiancée who is now pregnant. And yet they're supposed to have some sort of legal contract when that's not supposed to be expected from her. And obviously Matthew describes for us who's responsible the Holy Spirit is. And we knew that. By Luke and we, by their studies, we know that. But Joseph doesn't know that. Well, okay, he knows that, but he's not accepting of that. I mean, what groom who hears the news for the first time from either Mary or Mary and her parents? Can you imagine that conversation? Wedding vows pretty much have been exchanged. There's a legal binding contract. They are fiancés, and they are supposed to withhold themselves from anyone else outside of this legal binding contractual agreement for a year until they walk the aisle. No one would expect that, that after they were officially married that they could date anyone else because that's what marriage is, two people come, becoming one. And now, as a fiancé, they, they, they have the same expectations. And so he learns, we're not sure how he learns this, but he learns that his betrothed, Mary, is with child. Now, put yourself in his, in his we're going to say sandals for a moment. You're, you're being summoned by Mary, maybe to her home, and maybe it's a private conversation, and maybe it's one between her parents and her 
and Joseph. Maybe Joseph's parents are also there because, you see, there's a dowry that's already been given and she's been paid for, so to speak. That conversation. I mean, imagine you being in the room. And you don't know the end of the story. You've not read the New Testament. This is still in the process of being formed. And you are being told by your fiancé, you're not going to believe this, but let me tell you what happened. I was minding my own business, sitting at the, standing at the kitchen sink, doing the dishes, and an angel appeared out of nowhere and told me that I was God's chosen vessel to deliver the Messiah, and the Holy Spirit has now overshadowed me, and I now... And with child through the power of the Holy Spirit. What would you think? You gotta be out of your mind. This is nuts. This is crazy. What concocted story have you invented to justify your cheating on me and and, and violating the, the contractual agreement that we had. This is not what I expected from you. You have violated not only my expectations, but you have violated the law. And he's disappointed. Obviously, Joseph did not anticipate this, did he? Who could have? It's never happened before. Someone becoming pregnant by a supernatural in vitro fertilization from the Spirit of God determined by the divine God himself. Now Mary's pregnant. He's betrothed to her. He's learned of her pregnancy and her soon upcoming delivery. And he's been told that she's carrying that one that they've been waiting for his whole life or generations, the promised Messiah. And he, like Zechariah, disbelieves. He doesn't believe it. But in all honesty, I'm not sure most of us, 99.9% of us, would believe it either. Now, this is not something that Mary has done because she's been disobedient or unfaithful. And it's not something that's happened to Joseph because he's been unfaithful. This is a divine activity of God done by the Holy Spirit of God. No one has sinned. No one has done anything wrong. No one has done any choice that has conflicted with God's word or God's way. And, and this, this is totally an act of God. And God has brought into this couple's life something totally unprepared for and unexpected. And I am convinced that more chances than not, you have some expectations that are not God's. And God has some expectations that are outside of the norm of your definition of what you expect him to do and how you expect him to act. And we must prepare for the unexpected because there are many times out of the divine activity and the will and the ways of God, he's going to invade our lives and do what is completely and totally unexpected. You're not going to see it coming. And so we must prepare for the unexpected. Secondly, we must protect against overreactions. Joseph does what most of us do. He reacted somewhat naturally. 
It says in verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Notice the word, and her husband Joseph. Here there is a, there is, there is a direct line here where Matthew is helping us understand that he has legal claim here. This is a legal right to expect what he is expecting. And her husband, well, they've not consummated the relationship, and her husband, Joseph, establishing the fact that Joseph has a right to his decision here. Defines him as a just man. A just man in the day of Jesus, in the time of Jesus, in the New Testament, was a man who not only knew the law, but sought to live out faithfully the law itself. Recognizing, I believe, his inability to live up to the letter of the law, and then, after, then, off, then offering sacrifices as a result of his inability to live up to the law. So he was a just man, justified not only because he knew the law and sought to live by the law, but I'm convinced that he offered sacrifices when he disobeyed the law. And so therefore, in God's eyes, he was a just man. Not because he was perfect, but because he was justified by his faith. And his practice of that which God had given him instructions. He was a just man, notice, but he was unwilling to put her to shame. That word unwilling is a double negative, And it means that he's, he's motivated by something. He's unwilling to, to do what is rightfully his claim to do. He's unwilling to do that. What would cause a man who has every right to pounce on this lady and to give her her just due. And yet it says that he was not willing to do that. Well, gentlemen, there's a passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, where it says that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and was willing to die for her. Those are incredible words. Willing to die for her. We as husbands should be willing to die to ourselves and to our rights for our spouses. So he was willing to die to his claim, to die to his right, to be justified in throwing her out in public and to shame her, to bring disgrace to her name, to ruin her reputation to the point where no one after that would marry her. She would become a bitter old maid, more than likely, if this were anything other than something God had determined and something that wasn't divine. She had been unfaithful. And he had every right to do that, but he decided he was unwilling to put her to shame. And notice, he resolved, though, and that word resolve means that he concluded, he had in his mind, he sat down, and he thought long and hard, and he pushed through all of what he could do, and he then resolved to divorce. That means to no longer proceed with the marriage, and it was a legal binding contract, so he had to get out of the contract, and he would divorce her, but notice the word, quietly. He resolved to divorce her quietly, meaning that he was going to do it in secret. He wasn't going to do it openly. Now, why would he do this? Because he's hurt. I mean, the news of his fiancée becoming pregnant, in spite of this, this unbelievable story that she somehow has said the reason why she's pregnant, he, he's, he's in his right, he is justified, he's a just man, He's unwilling to do this in a public way, so he does it quietly. He says, I'm going to do what I believe is in my best interest. I'm going to divorce her. And he's going to do it quietly, 
What would lead him to do that? This is clearly God doing this activity. This is clearly God who has caused her to become pregnant. This is clearly God who is acting. And God has clearly asked Mary to be the vessel that he would use to bring and to birth the Messiah into existence and to save the world. We, we saw that last Sunday. This is God working. Why would he then not follow then what God had ordained? Because of emotion. Because of self-interest because of that little thing that often sits on the throne of our of our hearts the I not EYE but I I don't want this I don't like this this hurts me this affects me I don't want this for me and I can't tell you how many times we see the world yielding to the I and yielding to the me they don't want what God wants I want this me wants this this is my my best interest and the reality is that sometimes even those of us who claim to be saved let the I the me and the my take the throne and we often when God invades our expectations and says no 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 you're expecting this, but I want to do this, our excuse then is out of passion and out of emotion and out of whatever it is, emotion that is causing us, we'll say, no, 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 that's not in my best interest. I don't want to do that. That's not what I think is best for me. When God comes in and he changes our expectations, we need to protect, we need to guard, we need to shield ourselves from reacting emotionally and act by faith. Because God was in this. He just didn't want to hear it from Mary. And I can imagine out of emotion, he didn't want to accept what God was doing. We need to protect against overreaction. Thirdly, we need to pursue God's perspective. Once we prepare for the unexpected and protect against overreactions, we pursue God's perspective. Notice in verse 20, but as he considered these things, as he considered these things, I like that word, considered these things, as he considered. He's reflecting on these things. He's decided that he's going to divorce her silently, as is his right to do, because he is a just man. He loves her still, and he doesn't want to hurt her in public. But he decides to sleep on it. You ever done that? I know what I'm going to do, but I've decided what I'm going to do, and I'm going to plan out what I'm going to do, and I'm in my right to do what I'm going to do because of of, of this unfair thing that God has brought into my life. This is how I'm going to react, and he slept on it. And it's always good to sleep on something before we take action. It's always good to sort of step back and sort of assess where things are so that we can then clearly the next morning see if we're clear in what we have planned to do. And he does that. And he sleeps on it. I, I, I can imagine that that was probably the most restless night he has had in a long time. I mean, his life was filled with these expectations and it was going in this way and all of a sudden his, his dreams are now shattered. He is hurt. His fiance is pregnant. He's been told this story that he can't believe. And he's decided to divorce her silently. And he's laying down in bed, tossing and turning for who knows how long. And then he finally falls asleep. Like some of you are doing in here this morning. Behold, it says. Wake up. 
You know, my dad, sometimes in his messages when I was a kid in Brazil, he would be at a certain point in his sermon, he'd go, bam! And people, you know, I used to sit in the back, and I used to watch people's head bump off when he'd do that. And uh, they'd wake up for a few minutes. Anyway. And behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. God is about to intervene. God is always going to intervene. No one can thwart the purposes of God. Joseph has made up his mind. He's going to divorce his wife silently. He's going to sleep on it and do it in the morning. And God now all of a sudden shows up, and an angel who is a messenger, notice the angel is described like Mary's, comes from the Lord, meaning that God is sovereign and that he is going to enact his will in this circumstance, in this situation. He appears to Joseph in a dream. I'm not sure why a dream, but a dream. You ever had dreams? Hopefully all of us dream. If you don't dream, you can't sleep well at night. But my dreams are always filled with exciting things. How about yours? I'm always at war. There's always a battle. I'm either a soldier in the midst of the line of fire, or maybe I'm a secret agent trying to accomplish some impossible task. You know, I mean, my, I, you know, the life of Walter Mitty is kind of like my life when I dream. And sometimes I can remember them, and sometimes I cannot. Some of you dream boring. Okay? I dream exciting things. And he had a dream. And in the dream... An angel appears, and the angel speaks. Now notice that the angel then speaks according to the word of the Lord. He says, Joseph, isn't it great to know that God knows our name? Turn to your neighbor and say, God knows your name. Now that can be a good thing and a bad thing. That means you're not going to get away with anything. But it's a good thing in the fact that God knows who you are, where you are, and what's going through, and what you're going through in your life. And he knows you by name. He calls you by name. And he says, Joseph, I know who you are. I know what you're going through. I know that you are the son of David. Why would he address Joseph in this way? Because Joseph is of a lineage. He has a heritage. He is of, of the King David, and he is a, of the long descent of the King David. And, and Matthew has gone to long lengths in the first 17 verses of chapter 1 to help us understand how the, line, the lineage of David goes all the way down through Mary and Joseph. And God is reminding Joseph, I have been working from the beginning of time to bring about what is about to pass. Joseph, I've not gone, oops, I made a mistake. Let me do plan B. I think I said this a couple of months ago. I was in a, a funeral not long ago where there was a pastor stood up and tried to help us understand that the Old Testament, what God did, wasn't enough. And God went, oops, and he brought that which came about in the New Testament, which was Jesus. He sent Jesus as plan B. God had plan A, and he, it was not enough. So then he, well, I need plan B now. God doesn't operate like that. God's never surprised by anything. God knows the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. And he is a sovereign God who dictates and determines every action and every activity in the universe from the conception of the universe to the end of the universe. 
And God is saying here to him, what is taking place with Mary, your fiance, your soon-to-be wife, is an act in which God has been working throughout generations. It's not just about you, Joseph. It's about, it's about from the very beginning of time I've been working up to now to fulfill what I want to. And he says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't be apprehensive. Don't be anxious. Don't be nervous. And that's a very common thing to happen when God invades our lives with the unexpected and he's asking us to step outside of the boundaries of that which is comfortable and that which is expected into this new realm of faith that we're not used to because you know what I'm not sure if I step over this ledge I'm going to be able to stay afloat and this is where the line is drawn and faith is tested and we must step over the line and trust God with his direction and so he's saying i want you to realize that that what mary has told you is in fact true he confirms mary's testimony what mary told you is is in fact true you need to believe what she's told you because this comes straight from the lord it's reality the reason why I want us to understand this perspective is this. When we're down on planet Earth and we're walking through the muck and the mire of our disappointment and our emotions and all of this unexpected stuff that God brings into our lives and we don't like, we don't want, we're confused and all that, it's always better to rise above all of that to a level of God's perspective because isn't it true when you're in a plane and you're looking down below the world has a different perspective down there than it does when you're in there, isn't it? When you're up here looking down, it just looks smaller, doesn't it? It doesn't look quite the same, the world does, does it? And so what he's saying to Joseph is, I want you to rise above your perspective, and I want you to see what is happening from my perspective. I've been working out for generations this reality to happen right here with you right now, you and Mary. And if you'll rise above and see this which is happening to you from my perspective, you'll see that it's not all as big as you really think it is in affecting you. But there's a larger perspective. There's a grander scheme. There's a more glorious plan that I have to accomplish and fulfill that is outside of the realm of just you and your little hurt feelings. Because I've asked you to do something that you don't really want because you didn't really expect. I mean, who wants to be the father of someone else's child? When you're engaged to someone who you're married to and she becomes pregnant within that framework of that relationship, he's about, he expected to be a father, but not like this. And God is saying, come up to my level, dude, and, and take a look at what I'm asking you to do, and you'll see from my perspective, there's an eternal consequence to what is about to happen that is bigger than you. And I think sometimes we need to take a different perspective about the things that God brings into our lives to help us realize it's not all about us and that God's perspective helps us see that our little pain and our little world and our little disruption isn't really all that big in comparison to what God's going to do in the grander scheme of things. And it takes intentionality on our part to rise above to a different perspective and to recognize 
what God wants us to see. Number four, we need to participate with God's purpose. I don't really understand why God wants to use people to accomplish his purpose. I've questioned that. I don't know if you've ever questioned that. Because we're so stinking unpredictable. We're so frail and we're so fragile and we're so human and we're so so fleshly and so selfish, aren't we? And yet God in his divine plan wants us to participate in what he wants to do. I would have thought God would have chosen a vessel that was a lot more reliable than that, wouldn't you? Than us. Because the reality is that that we as humans are not that reliable, and yet God in his sovereign plan chooses people to accomplish his purpose. Notice in this text, verse 21, She shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There are three people here that God mentions. Number one, she will bear a son. Who's she? It is Mary, and she will serve God's purpose. Mary is a servant of the Lord. And didn't we see last week where we said, Here, I am a servant of the Lord, and she, she, she is willing to serve God's purpose. As a humble servant, recognizing her limitations and God's unlimited potential through hers, we saw how God uses the impossible and makes the impossible possible if we'll submit and serve him. And Mary says, I'll be your servant. And I like that. She will. It's not a matter of she might. I hope she will, but she will bear a son. It's going to happen, Joseph. She will bear a son. I have ordained it. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. She will, and you shall. Notice that, Joseph, you shall submit to my will, Joseph. It's not an option for you. Your expectations weren't my expectations. And I invaded your life and brought in this unexpected blessing in your life. And you shall name his name Jesus. And when we see this in this text, you shall name his name. That means that when Joseph is said, you shall name his name. When he names his name, he is being submissive to the will of God in naming Jesus, Jesus. He's saying, you're going to submit to my will because I am the Lord. But notice it says, for he will save his people from my sins. Jesus will save his people or my people from their sins. Notice the sins are theirs and we could camp out there for a long time. And the sins is plural, which there are many. But Jesus will save. Notice the trickle-down effect. Mary... Joseph and Jesus. There's a a line there. Mary, Mary serves, Joseph submits, and Jesus saves. God is inviting Joseph as he invited Mary to fulfill the purpose that he wanted to fulfill through Jesus. And as he submits to the will of God, God will take that obedience and will be a blessing to multitudes. And we today in this auditorium are recipients of that blessing. We are recipients of Joseph's blessing. 
God chose to use Joseph, and Joseph submitted to the will of God. And as a result of that, he married Mary, and Jesus was born. He named him Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and now has ascended to be with the Father. And because of the Holy Spirit who has convicted and called us by name to trust in Jesus, now we are recipients of Joseph's obedience. And so we are products as we participate with God in the responsibility of serving him and submitting to him. God will use us and use you in in a trickle-down effect to be a blessing not only to the ones in your life, but I'm convinced for generations to come because we in this auditorium here are recipients of an inheritance that goes beyond just us because 107 years ago, there were some people who were obedient and they started a church that we call now Emmanuel Baptist Church. And we sit in this auditorium because God used them to bless us. And it's great to know that your life is not just about here and now. It's about affecting generations to come. My gift to this church, my contribution financially in time and talent and treasure isn't just to turn on the lights today, which we expected to come in here. We expected the lights to be on. It's not just an expectation about me here now. It's an expectation that when God takes what I give to him and yield to him in service and submission to him, he uses that to bless generations until he returns. And we must participate with the purpose of God when God brings the unexpected. Number five, we need to place our trust in God's word. And that's what Joseph did. He placed his trust in God's word. It's interesting in verse 22. He said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. And all this took place to fulfill what God, what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. God had spoken his word through the prophets, from the Old Testament prophets. God's been at work. We've seen through the generations of the lineage of David, but also he's been at work through the prophets. He's been at work through his word, and his word long ago predicted, prophesied that the Messiah would be born this way. Where do you get that? Notice in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is where we get our name. And by the way, the, the spelling is correct here. Amen. I don't like them to spell the word Emmanuel or our church name with an E. It doesn't have an E. It's an I. Whenever they look at you kind of strange. It's not an E. It's an I. Is that biblical? Yes, you need to read your Bible. The accurate way is with an I. Meaning God with us. You know the history of that? I was told. I'm not sure if it's true. Not everything I'm told is true. But I was told when we constituted the church and when we changed the name of the church to Emmanuel that the pastor's assistant when she went to file with the state of Kansas, our church name, it was originally to be E with Emmanuel, that she didn't like the E, so she changed it to an I without his knowledge and submitted it to the state. And so we got our tax exemption with the I instead of the E. Is that true? Anybody confirm that? Be careful what you hear, but Isaiah seven fourteen, seven hundred 700 years earlier, God had predicted that a virgin would be with child. I know all the arguments, but most prophecies have a dual fulfillment. They have a present and a futuristic fulfillment. I don't have time to go into all that. 
But from the beginning of time, God's word has dictated and determined. And God was saying to Joseph, what is happening here is in accordance to the word of God. Whenever God adjusts our expectations and we join God in those expectations and we seek to fulfill his will, we need to completely trust and look to the word of God for direction in the choices that we make. For this Bible is the inerrant, the infallible, trustworthy word of God without any mixture of error, and it is completely and totally trustworthy and reliable. And it's to here that we go for confirmation of what the Spirit of God tells us. They always work in concert with each other. And number last, we need to plan on making adjustments. Once we prepare for the unexpected, protect against overreactions, pursue God's perspective, participate with God's purpose, place our trust in God's word, we need to plan on making the adjustments that God has given to us. Notice the text, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he had to wake up, and he did. And when he did, he awoke with a new understanding. He closed his eyes, who knows when, late that evening or early that morning, tossing and turning. But when he opened his eyes, there was a peace that surpasses all understanding because he had heard a word from the Lord. He had a new perspective and a new understanding. He awoke with a new understanding. There were no longer questions about what he should do. He knew that the direction he was going to take was wrong and that God had a different direction for him to take that would be in compliance and obedience with the directives of God Notice he accepted God's direction, it says, and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary as his wife. He accepted it. It was not an easy thing, even though he had a word from the angel. I mean, he was a just man, and he was a, a humble man. He was a dependent man, and he was told to marry this woman who has a child by the Holy Spirit, a child from God, the divine God, the Son of God, the Savior, the one who is the promised Messiah. And he married Mary, who was pregnant. And he accepted that. Okay, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, that's what I will do. But notice not only that, but he advanced with incredible humility. It says in verse 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Now, if you take a look at what God told Joseph to do, this was not in any part of God's plan. But Joseph in and of himself said, okay, I'm going to advance in the plan that God has given. Me. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to, I'm going to awaken to this new understanding. I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to take her on as my wife. And he married her. I'm not sure if the year had, had exhausted or not. Maybe it was six months. Maybe it was ten months. Maybe it was the year time was up. But they walked an aisle in front of everyone, and he married her. And it was his right now as husband and wife to consummate the relationship. What young man doesn't want to consummate his relationship on their wedding day? I know that sounds a little weird, but that's true. And when we all, when we got married, had visions of what our first honeymoon night would be like. I'm sorry, you two over here who are married, close your ears. You're, you need to... I mean, we have great anticipation about that. And imagine after that day of walking down the aisle and getting married in front of family and friends, they spent their honeymoon night and they were like the cleavers. Who sleeps like that these days? Uh, some of you might. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> I 
God made everything that was good. Amen? Come on. Some of you are a little reluctant. Our next sermon for Sunday, Christmas Day, will be about God giving us the blessing of human sexuality. I'm sure we'll have a packed house. But anyway, there are other churches that do that. We don't need to go in there. You can go on their, their deal and watch them. But anyway, I mean, what a humble guy. He's married to her, and he has an opportunity now to fulfill. And he, I'm sure, is a virgin, and she is a virgin. And this is their wedding night. And for nine months or six months or wherever, they do not consummate their relationship until after Christ is born. He wasn't told to do that, but he advanced with humility, dependence upon God, being patient, gentle, loving, and kind. And notice then it says in the last sentence, and he called his name Jesus. He acted in faith. He trusted God. When it came time to name this son that everyone thought was his, he and Mary knew different. That's all we know who knew is he and Mary. We don't really know that her parents knew. We do learn later on that they have more children after this. And there is going to be a son whom he's going to name Joseph. He has one named James and Joseph, and I think there's two others. There's four sons. I can't recall them right now. But he names him Jesus. Why would he do that? Because that's what God commanded him to do. Let's close with two questions. Question number one. Can I identify my unexpected blessing from God this year? Chances are we all can. It's an unexpected blessing. It's something we didn't anticipate. It's an unbearable burden that for whatever reason God has placed upon us. It's not something that we expected. It's not something maybe we even want. It's something that we would like to be released from and we would gotten like to just for God to just take it away, and yet it still is there. It burdens us. It haunts us. It is a, an active part of our lives, and more than likely we're going to be reminded of that this holiday season. And we not see that as an unexpected blessing that God has given us? Where God is using that to perfect us, to mold us, and to shape us into the likeness of Jesus and to bring about a new reality in our lives so that we, through obedience to Him, as we live with that unexpected thing, actually learn that which Paul learned. When he prayed three times for God to remove the thorn from his side, and God did not do that, and yet he found grace enough to sustain him during his time of need. Because too often those unexpected things that come into our lives are really blessings sent from God to move us in the center of his purpose and what he wants to accomplish through us. Remember, it's not all about us. It's not all about our pain. It's not all about me. It's about him and it's about the blessing that God's going to bring through this in the lives of others. And lastly, question number two. Have I accepted the unexpected blessing of God in Christmas? You see, this baby wrapped in swaddling clothes placed in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem was an unexpected blessing for Mary and Joseph. 
but he's an unexpected blessing for us. There were so many when he was born and so many when he lived and so many when he died that could not get past the unexpected because they expected someone different and they missed that which is standing and talking and doing miracles and engaged in ministry right before them. They missed him because it's not what they expected. And he died and he rose and they missed it. Jesus Christ is the unexpected blessing of Christmas. So much so that he is an unexpected blessing in which he himself was born in a, in a crib, but who died on a cross, only to be raised from the grave to inherit a crown. So that through his life, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we might receive the most unexpected blessing of all. For we are not treated as we deserve to be treated, but we're, just, we're treated by the grace of God through a child who becomes a king who died on a cross for our sin against the Father. And now this unexpected blessing becomes ours through faith in Him. And our question this Christmas is this. Is this unexpected blessing your reality? Have you placed your faith and trust in Him and accepted Him as your Savior and as your Lord? Let's pray. Uh, Leilani came to me about uh, two Sundays ago and wanted to know when she could get baptized. And she's been excited and looking forward to this day for quite some time. I wanted to make sure that she talked to Miss Wendy as well, and she did. And she's ready now to come before the church and stand before family and friends and, and tell everybody she's ready to follow Jesus. So if you're her family here today, if, if you're here, would you stand? Join me in standing. If Any family here? They, they came last Sunday, I think and uh, didn't come out. So if you're at home watching, we're glad that you're watching. Leilani, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your personal Savior, Lord? Yes. yes. So it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in his death, to walk with Christ in the power of his resurrection. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to join Leilani in this decision to follow you and to publicly declare her faith in you. And I pray that as this young lady grows, that your spirit would rise up within her and give her the strength that she needs. Protect her, guard her, keep her 
close to you. And like little Mary did nearly 2,000 years ago, a young lady that you took and used for mighty things, I pray you'd do that in her life. Thank you for the joy that we have as a church to participate in the activity of helping her learn about you and grow in you. So use us and use her for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.